Welcome. Uh, my name is Ryan Firstenoff, Firstenoff Financial, and uh, we're going to do a, a little video uh, cast today with uh, Dr. Brandon Essink. And uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit today um, about the, well, a lot today about the, uh, the COVID vaccines. Uh, but, you know, really, uh, the part of the reason we're doing this is I was thinking really about the, um, uh, the two biggest financial impacts we've probably had in not just our economy here, but the world economy the last year and a half has been, first of all, COVID happening. Um, and second of all, having a vaccine come out to, you know, address all the health risks with COVID. And so, you know, on the downside, COVID, you know, hurt our economy. Uh, but part of the rebound has been distributing this vaccine, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, you know, getting people back to work, uh, getting businesses back to doing business. And so I, we talked with Brandon last fall, right as vaccines were coming out. And so, you know, I know there's been a lot of questions, there's a lot of misinformation out there, uh, but I wanted to come back to, to Brandon and kind of do a, a fact versus fiction about the vaccines because uh, I hear a lot of different things. I wouldn't really get to the truth. Uh, so Brandon, why? Give me a little background. Tell me why we why we should listen to you. What what is your what is your area expertise? Um, so so uh, I'm a family practitioner by trade, but do a lot of hospital medicine. So I've been taking care of a lot of COVID patients. I also do a lot of ER work, uh, mostly in rural communities. So communities the size of Neely. I actually used to work in Creighton. Um, kind of throughout the Midwest, covering in Iowa and Missouri and, and uh, Nebraska and Kansas as well. Um, but my other life uh, revolves around doing clinical research and um, have been doing um, vaccine research for about 18 years, give or take. Um, and we've, um, with the, we've worked a lot on pandemics. We've worked a lot on endemic viruses. We've worked a lot on um, more local um, outbreak viruses, bioterrorism viruses. We've worked on things like Ebola, West Nile virus, um, Japanese encephalitis, some of these other things that are worldwide diseases. Um, and so, of course, when COVID hit, we got asked to work um, on, on the COVID vaccines. And so we worked with um, every company that's out there, actually, we've, we've worked at, worked with, um, we haven't done AstraZeneca's vaccine that's approved in other countries, but not in the U.S. We didn't do that one um, for a couple of different reasons, but we have worked on AstraZeneca, one of their um, uh, monoclonal antibodies um, that's used for prevention and treatment. So, um, so we've, we've kind of worked with a lot of the different companies. We're still working on some that haven't come out, some that probably people have never heard of. Um, we work a lot with biotech companies. Um, uh, we've been working actually with Moderna and the mRNA platform now for about three or four years. So we've, we're pretty familiar with that ahead of time when nobody had ever heard of that until all of this came out. So, um, we, so we have some experience with actually that, that um, platform, which is, is, is pretty neat. And you're going to see a lot more mRNA vaccines going forward um, just because of how um, effective they can be, how they're out of the body quickly, um, in general, they produce the side effects of the disease. They don't necessarily produce their own side effects. So all of those things that, um, you know, that, that we're uh, hoping are going to work well going forward. Um, and they also avoid some of the other um, downsides of some of the other vaccines that are out there that are more traditional. So, yeah, so that's how we, we got involved. And we've been very deeply involved in all of this, helping run the Moderna trial, um, Moderna phase three trial anyway. So it's been Interesting. Yeah. So, so you say involved. So just give me a little more detail. Involved means what do you guys do there exactly with the vaccine? What's your, 
So what we do is we actually provide data to the sponsor company. So a sponsor will be your Pfizer's, your Moderna's, your Sanofi, all of those um, by um, having volunteers come in that, um, you know, agree to um, do the trial. They provide informed consent. They um, go through all of the procedures of the trial. They receive the investigational product or placebo, um, you know, all of those things. And then they provide the data back so that you know they're the people that are actually doing the work the the, the, the volunteers are um, and then we just collect all of that data and then um, put it into the different forms that they need to have it at um, so that they can collate all that and then and then put it together um, I'm helping you know kind of develop some of the protocols as well so a little bit more deep in the weeds um, also help with some of the journal writing review of the data um, some of the safety monitoring stuff, those are all things that I like to do on top of it. So it's a little bit deeper than say just the company, the research company does, but, um, but it's been, it's been interesting. It's, a, it's kind of a whirlwind. They want everything, you know, that's scheduled for tomorrow done yesterday. So it's, it, it's a lot of extra work and, um, but it's, but it's pretty, been pretty rewarding as well. So you, so you see all of the stuff on the front end when, when they're still testing the vaccines, you're seeing, mm -hmm you're giving either that or placebo to the patients and you're seeing side effects or the success of the vaccine. So you're seeing all the data that then you feed along. So you're, you're seeing all of that firsthand as, as people are using it uh, for the yep. very first time. And then, and then yep. you also do follow-up studies as well, right down. Correct. Yeah. You, you continue to monitor things. So it's not just a, Hey, we did it for one month. It goes on for yeah. a while, and they may add things to it as well. Right? Yeah, all the all the trials that started last summer are all still going. Actually, there's some sort of even in spring, the early phases did, and those are all still ongoing. So we're still tracking. You know, patients slash subjects fall out over time, but um, everybody that you know we can keep in the trials have stayed in the trials, and they'll still be going on probably for another couple of years yet. Most of them will be. Um, so it, it's yeah, it's it's completely ongoing. You know, safety is our number one thing. So we everything revolves around safety. Um, and then the, the big, big trials, so the ones that everybody hears about with Moderna and Pfizer, for example, look a lot at efficacy. So does the, the, does the vaccine work in the real world? I mean, that's obviously important. Um, but it also looks at like uh, antibodies in the blood and, and some of those efficacy endpoints as well, um, you know, to see, you know, is there still a real, a lasting, you know, um, protection, all of those kind of things. So um, we're still looking at that. We still bring people in for sick visits um, to see, you know, everybody at this point's pretty much received the vaccine because they've crossed over in those big trials. Um, but seeing, you know, if you're six months out, um, are you protected? Are you 12 months out? Some of the patients, are you still protected? Some people in the spring studies are out to 15 months almost. So um, you know, we're, we're still looking at that to see, and that's what's trying to get, we've done some booster studies already. So that's looking at, um, you know, we're in the middle of those, um, looking to see is a booster safe, is a booster needed, um, you know, is a booster effective, all of those things. We don't know some of that information yet, but um, that's a hot button issue that's going to be debated heavily today and tomorrow in the, at the government level. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're still, you know, and then we're looking at variants, all of those things as well. Also, um, so there's, there's branch off studies kind of going all over the place looking at, you know, what, what should we do next? And in addition to that, we're still looking at other diseases. So RSV and some of those um, that have kind of reared their ugly head again, you know, once people have gotten back to being active and okay. out there. So, yeah. Okay.
All right. So, okay. So, so yeah, let's get into some of the fact versus fiction. Cause I hear all these, you know, we, you know, I visit with clients all the time, friends, family, and we hear different things. And so I kind of want, hopefully you can kind of uh, sort through this with us, but you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I, I kind of have a list here, but uh, one of the things I was thinking of or, or here is that the potential side effects of getting the vaccine are worse than the potential health impacts of getting COVID itself. So, so that, that's kind of a hot button thing too. So it, it's kind of a continuum is how I think about it. So if you're higher risk, so you're older, you're obese, those things, your risk of COVID goes way up. So a vac the risk of the vaccine is way, way low compared to what your potential risk could be um, of kind of contracting COVID. Now you could have somebody who's 80 years old and way over and way obese that has minimal symptoms and then they get the vaccine and they have, or they have lots of symptoms with just the vaccine. So, it, you know, it, it's not a one size fits all. Now, as we get to the younger age groups, that's, that's why some of those, they haven't really been approved yet because they're still really looking closely. That is a side effect of the, of the vaccine may be worse it's more likely to happen, I shouldn't say worse, but more likely to happen than a more severe disease or more severe um, case of COVID. So at some point you're gonna meet an inflection point where maybe it's not as beneficial to the individual, um, you know, at a certain age maybe. So it's a lot of it's developed, you know, looking at risk, but in general, especially as an adult, the vaccine is way safer in the long run than catching COVID. Okay. So, and then catching COVID after you've had the vaccine is likely very protective at preventing you from having severe um, disease or hospitalization or death. So in general, I can say that the vaccine is safer than catching COVID, but at an individual level there, you know, it, some people could say I was way worse, you know, getting the vaccine than what I had for COVID or you know, whatever. So, okay. um, yeah, so it's not, it, it, it's a kind of a tricky question to answer, but I would say, especially in higher risk groups, you're way better off getting the vaccine and at least having some protection there. Does that, does that uh, phenomenon apply to other vaccines as well? I mean, where you're vaccinating for, uh, let's just say the, the flu, right? Mm -hmm. Do some people have more reactions to the vaccine than they would have if they would have gotten the flu and vice versa, does that happen? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty much the case with about any vaccine. So, you know, there are some vaccines that have very minimal side effects. And so, you know, the risk benefit ratio there is so much better to get vaccine. And then there's other vaccines. I mean, rotavirus is a good example as a, as a vaccine for, for little kids, you know, we were, the initial rotavirus vaccines caused all kinds of problems. Um, and so they, a lot of us weren't using those because they were just too, they were causing way more side effects than most kids who got rotavirus had diarrhea for 24 hours and they were fine. You know, where you're getting a side effect, you know, these side effects of the vaccines were bad. They've improved those. So now it's kind of flipped the other way. Um, meningitis is another good example. The, originally when they were recommending meningitis vaccines for um, college age kids, it was giving more kids meningitis than the risk of getting the wild type. Well, then why would I give my kid a vaccine if they're more likely to, you know, get the disease from the vaccine? Now that's not possible because of the different type of vaccines and they're much better. But, you know, we that's what we've kind of learned over time. And, we, and we're not seeing that with COVID. I mean, there's a lot of weird things in the and you'll see on Twitter that, hey, the vaccine's giving you disease. It can't do that. It literally can't do that. So um, that's not the case. But we are watching to make sure that 
there's some there's a phenomenon called antibody dependent enhancement that we saw with, and that's one of the reasons we didn't do the, the AstraZeneca vaccine. We saw it some when they were trying to develop a vaccine for the Middle Eastern respiratory um, virus, and then the first COVID um, back in 2004, and then MERS in 2009, that actually the vaccine made the disease worse if you caught it. So um, that's been really monitored closely and still being monitored closely. And it's one of the reasons why there's a lot of debate about boosters right now in the scientific community, because we don't want to create antibody dependent enhancement um, and where the vaccine could make your disease worse or make you more likely to catch it. So um, we haven't seen that at all in the first you know, year of dosing with the, with the regular doses. So we, we've kind of ruled that out with that. We, it just doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, we don't know if that's the case with boosters yet. We just can't answer that question. So we don't have enough data. So. Okay. 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 So what about uh, what this fact versus fiction? You can't get COVID once you've been vaccinated. So that's not true. You can get COVID. Um, what we see in general is much less severe disease. Um, we also see way less um, uh, so you see things about CT count, so the, the cycle threshold counts of the PCR test in the nose. We see a lot lower, no, you're, sorry, we see a lot higher CT counts, which means it takes a lot more times you have to replicate the, the virus to show up, which tells us that there's less of what's called a viral load. Um, so you're less likely to transmit, you're less likely to have severe disease if you've been vaccinated, but you can still catch COVID. That's classic for almost every disease we vaccinate against, um, there's none that are 100%. So um, that, that, you know, it was maybe a little bit strong saying it's 95% likely you're not going to catch COVID, but it's still pretty darn close to that. Um, it doesn't, you know, 95% still means there's 5% of people that can, you know, potentially pick up COVID. So, um, and, and it maybe it's probably higher than that, to be honest, in the real world. But um, so, you know, you still can get it. But it's not, you're way less likely to have severe disease. And that's that's probably the most important thing. Okay. Well, then that kind of leads into the next one, you know, fact versus fiction. People that have been vaccinated and do get COVID are sick enough that they need to get hospitalized. It happens. Um, I Like I said, my I also have real world experience where I work as a hospitalist. Um, so we had the big outbreak in Southwest Missouri and I've, you know, was a couple of our hospitals that I work with are there. Um, I, I probably admitted 250 people over the last three or four months, I would say. Um, I've only had three that have been vaccinated out of all those. So that's an anecdotal story, but that's kind of what we're seeing in the general population is it's way less severe and way less likely to be hospitalized. But there are cases of severe people. There's cases of uh, ventil you know, people being on ventilators. There's people, uh, you know, in deaths even uh, post-vaccine uh, from COVID. So it's it, it's still going to happen, but it's much, much, much less less likely once you've been vaccinated. So it's, it's more fiction than fact, right? It's a small, yeah, definitely. small percentage that you're going to be hospitalized if you've had the vaccine. Yes, correct. Okay. Um, okay, so you know there are different vaccines out there. So some vaccines are more effective than others. Fact versus fiction. It, that's probably true. You know, it's hard to really quantify exactly. You know, we're starting to maybe see that Pfizer doesn't last maybe as long as Moderna, but that data is not 100% yet. Um, the mRNA vaccines look to be a little more effective potentially than the um, than the more vector vaccines like Janssen and AstraZeneca. Um, 
there, then there's some that are still in studies like Novavax that are kind of in between the two. Um, Medicago, which is a plant-based one that's still out there, you know, looks like it might be in between. We don't have the final data on those two yet. Um, so yeah, there, there's probably some that are better, but it may be individualized. Um, you know, we really, at this point, the three that are approved, we're kind of still recommending them all. Um, we're, and then again, we're looking at boosters. So we're now we're starting to get into that longer term data and that might kind of separate one from the other. So, um, or others, I should say. Um, so we don't know that for sure, but right now they're not, there's not enough of a difference to make a, you know, to, to give a firm recommendation. Right. Okay. So I guess that leads into the, the booster question is fact versus fiction. A booster is not necessary. Um, don't know that. I can't answer that yet. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, that we're doing studies on that. That's it's, you know, a lot of us are very frustrated with how the White House came out and said everybody's going to get a booster on September 20th. We don't know. We don't know if that's safe. We don't know if that's necessary. You know, there's a lot of us that are concerned. There's a lot of people in third world countries that have not don't even have access to this yet, where we know that getting vaccinated, getting series of vaccinations is protective. Let's get it to as many people as we can that don't have, you know, access to vaccines yet or have access, but haven't gotten it yet before we start boosting people. So we don't, it's hard to know this has become so political. Like, why did that come out? Um, there, there's a lot of doctors pushing back to big wigs at the FDA quit because of that. Um, so, you know, we just don't want to have undue influence and let the science work itself out. We're working on booster studies right now. Um, even in the, the big trials, we're probably going to be boosting soon just to look at that a little bit more, but I don't want to harm patients either without having the data. So that's why a lot of us are pushing back on that. And I would not recommend you get a booster, um, at this point, unless you are known to be immunocompromised and probably severely immunocompromised. Um, as that they're the only people we have any data on about that. So, um, so that it's, it's strongly recommended to not go out and get, you know, a little bit's good, not necessarily more is better. So we, you know, it may be better, but we don't know that yet. So it may be completely harmful and you're more likely to get sick. So. Okay. So fact versus fiction, the booster shot is different than the original shot. Like, so let's say I got Pfizer originally and I get a Pfizer booster. The booster is different. Is that true or not true? But Pfizer's the only one that has an approved booster so far, and it's, it's the same shot. Moderna's is Moderna is pushing to do a half dose, which um, some of their data shows in the preliminary in the trials that a half dose is plenty good. So they're going to do that partly because they can. There's more drug available then um, because you know you can two shots out of one, um, and then the data looks like it's good enough as a booster to do that half dose. So um, right same, now, same medicine and it's the same vaccine in the, yeah, in the, yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And we're looking at, they're doing studies actually right now, looking, if you got Janssen the first time and you get Pfizer the second time, what happens there? We're still in the middle of doing those trials too. So we don't know if you had, if you had an original Moderna series, you get the approved Pfizer booster. What does that do? You know, right. we don't know. So right. that's another reason maybe to be a little bit hesitant going to get a booster when the only booster approved is Pfizer. Looks like it's probably okay if you had Pfizer to start with, but we don't know, you know, if there's a, if a difference. And Pfizer and Moderna's drug is almost identical, but there's just a dose difference really. Um, they're, they're very, very similar, but, you know, we, without having that data, it's hard for me to recommend that people go get a booster unless they're severely immunocompromised. Okay. 
Okay, so what? Let's say uh, so. So let's say I had COVID. I tested positive. I had a bunch of symptoms. Um, so fact versus fiction. I don't need to get the vaccine because I already had COVID. So again, that's something that's a little up for debate. Um, now that the official word is that you should wait a month and then go get vaccinated. What we've seen in some of the trials and what we've seen anecdotally is that we really probably should wait three months and really least, I mean, I, I've, I've yet to admit a patient who's previously had symptomatic COVID. So like they had, you know, respiratory distress or they had, you know, some significant COVID symptoms and then got it a second time. It just doesn't happen. There's not a lot of data around the world that you see that. So natural immunity there is good. Now that's not saying go get COVID because you'll be protected. You're still better off getting a vaccine before you get COVID. That's clear. Um, but if you, you know, there we, we're still getting information that should you just get a single dose as a booster, maybe at six months or at a year, we don't have that data. The official word is go get the full vaccinations. Um, but from what we're seeing, I would, I personally, I would wait at least three months after recovering um, and potentially six months to get the vaccine um, after having symptomatic COVID. Now, testing positive does not mean you have symptomatic COVID, but um, testing positive after you've had a bunch of symptoms or when you're having a bunch of symptoms, then I would wait a little bit because definitely getting the vaccine very close to having active COVID, your vaccine is going to really ramp up your immune system. It's going to give you lots of side effects. So um, I like to see patients wait a little bit um, because you're naturally protected from the disease. People that are saying that you're not protected after you have the disease, that's not how, that's not how biology works. So, um, so you're going to have at least some protection after, um, after active disease. Okay. So, okay. But it's got to be clear that you're better off getting vaccine than waiting to get the disease to give you antibodies. You're better off having the vaccine antibodies ahead of time. It may not last as long, but you're still better off getting that. The ideal thing is probably to get the vaccine, get accidentally get exposed, and then you have a natural infection that's really mild that really boosts your immune system. And then you're probably lifelong protected then. But we don't know that yet either. But, you know, I'm not ever telling anybody to go actively try to get infected. But <laughs> but that's probably the, the thing that would be the safest way to give yourself, you know, long term immunity. So. Right. Right. OK, so what about uh, so if you back versus fiction, you've been vaccinated, you cannot spread the coronavirus around. You're, you're less likely to, but you probably still have enough viral load that you still could spread it to really close contacts or people that you're around, you know, you know, a lot and closely, but you're less likely to do that based on what we're seeing. There's not real good science behind um, some of that yet. Most of it's off of modeling and those things, but it looks like you're still less likely to transmit, but you still can transmit. Okay. So um, maybe back up to the to the health risks again. Um, you could die from getting the COVID vaccine. We, you know, we've seen exceedingly rare cases of that. Um, the you know the pericarditis, myocarditis thing has popped up. We don't we haven't seen any of that in the trials. It's more a population thing. You have to be in the millions of doses before you see any of that. But it's kind of it's it'd be very similar to about every other vaccine the incidence, it's not higher than any other vaccine that we've seen. So it's, it's you know, a case per millions. So, um, and typically those are people that are pretty high risk already. So, you know, you're very 
um, feeble and, and uh, a lot of other medical conditions, but they're the people that are highest risk for getting COVID and dying too. So, um, so the, the risk benefit ratio there is, is pretty high. We don't, you don't see young people die from the COVID vaccine. It's just not, not likely. So, I mean, somebody probably come up and tell me some anecdotal story about it, but that's just, it's hard to, you know, justify not doing a vaccine for that. So, um, yeah, the, the risk of death is very, very low. Okay. Well, and so then maybe let's say, uh, you know, after you've gotten the vaccine, um, fact versus fiction, you could still die from COVID. There's still, there's still a possibility. Again, it's much, 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 much lower. So um, the risk of hospitalization, the risk of death um, are exceedingly low after vaccine. But again, once you get millions and millions of people, even billions of people dosed, it's still going to potentially happen. And not a vaccine doesn't take in everybody um, like every other vaccine. So, you know, there's a chance that you got it and you never made antibodies and you still caught COVID. So um, right. that's possible. Okay. All right. So here, here's, here's a few good ones for you. Um, fact versus fiction. The COVID vaccine contains a microchip. No, for sure. Microchips don't go through the little needles. So anybody <laughs> that yeah, they've yet to make one that's that small. So um, they can make pretty small ones, but no, there's none in there. So all right. And the, and the vaccines are frozen to a point where the microchips would actually probably be broken anyway if they um, if they did that. But yeah, there's no evidence of that. You know, there's been lots of studies looking at that. Some people are like sticking magnets on their arms and things like that. But certain magnets might stick to you anyway because your whole body's magnetic. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's not true. So I don't know. Maybe maybe if somebody got a batch that they've altered that's not done by this. By Pfizer or Moderna or whoever, that's that's not yeah, not possible. Not true. So. All right. All right. So kind of along the same lines, fact versus fiction, the COVID vaccine will alter your DNA. Nope. So um, it doesn't get into the nucleus of the cell where your DNA lives. It only goes to the factory. So a good, a, a really good analogy of this, if you don't know biology, is that the, your DNA is basically your house blueprint. And mRNA is naturally produced in your body. Basically, that's taking a copy of it and then taking it to go make whatever protein you need to make. Um, this doesn't even go to where the blueprint is. It just goes right to the factory. So, um, and actually it's degraded within 24 hours or probably even way less than that. And then actually the proteins that are produced and, and for the mRNA vaccines, it's the spike protein. Those are actually excreted out of your body within, within 48 hours. So, you know, the, the, the product itself is gone almost immediately. And then the, the, what's made from that blueprint or made from that copy of the blueprint um, is um, out of your system pretty fast, too. So. OK, OK. Uh, all right. So uh, if you're pregnant and you get vaccinated the baby will have antibodies. Is that true? They should. Yep. They should have circulating antibodies when, when the baby's still in the womb, it goes, these antibodies are small enough. They'll go through the placenta. So be protective there. And there's been, you know, some evidence, you know, some cases where mom say contracted COVID and the baby actually had COVID antibodies. So not the vaccine antibodies with the COVID antibodies in, and then those antibodies, the maternal antibodies that are produced, will actually stay in the baby for about six weeks after they're born. So there's um, there, that's a kind of a hot area of research in other vaccines is vaccinating pregnant moms to give that extra six weeks of uh, protection. But that's about how long those antibodies will stay. And then your body, the, the, the baby's immune system starts kicking in and they'll have to start making their own antibodies at that point. But okay, So they, they stay with, but they don't last. And that's why- They don't kids, last, no. That's why kids have to get vaccinated for the other stuff right. too. 
Right. Correct. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, this one's a little more specific, um, and you might help me help me with the pronunciation here. COVID vaccine causes the GBS, Julian Barr syndrome. Yeah, Guillain-Barre. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've seen, we, there are incidences reported of it. It's actually way less than the flu vaccine, and mRNA vaccines appear to cause um, GBS way less than um, than the other um, vector vaccines. So um, that's another reason why they're already looking at flu shots and those kind of things using mRNA. We just see it a lot less. Guillain-Barre is uh, kind of a, what's called a demyelinating syndrome. So um, your body has, um, you know, the nerves that run around. And so if, if you ever look at wires, you know, that your power lines, you know, they're sheathed in these um, things that actually in, improve how fast the electricity goes through your body does the same thing. <coughs> Guillain-Barre basically destroy is your body naturally destroying its own um, sheathing around those nerves. And so um, it's usually a temporary thing and you re can re-sheath it, but um, it makes you slow and, you know, gives you kind of makes you really lethargic and um, just makes your body not work as well. We don't see it as much in the mRNA vaccines, knock on wood, um, as we have in some other things. So it's a little less likely than um, than what you than a flu shot to cause that. I've I've seen it multiple times in the past. So um, Guillain Barre, it's it's rare, very rare, but it does happen sometimes. Okay. So okay. Uh, so so if you've had COVID, you will have a bigger reaction when you get the vaccine, or more possibly response. Yep. Yeah. So especially that's why I was talking about earlier, you know, getting a getting the vaccine, starting the series within a month after having COVID, those patients have pretty robust reactions because your body's already ramped up to that spike protein. So you, you know, there's a lot of inflammation goes on. People get headaches, they get a lot of fatigue, those things after vaccine, it just kind of amplifies the vaccine side effects. Um, so yeah, that's why I recommend people wait three months after they get the, or have active, excuse me, after they have active disease before they get vaccinated. And, and just to clarify, so when people are having those, you know, headaches and may achy pains or whatever they might have, that's, that's not the code that you're not, you don't have COVID after you've gotten nope. vaccinated. It's your, it's your body reacting to the vaccine and, and the natural production of antibodies, I guess, is that accurate? Yep. yep. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of inflammation that the body creates um, you know, with that. And with the mRNA vaccines, it's responding to the actual spike protein that the COVID would produce. So some of the, a lot of the symptoms that you get are very similar to ha actually having COVID, but just in a more mild form. So headache, fatigue, um, you don't see much for shortness of breath, those kind of things. But um, those are probably the two big ones that we see is headache, fatigue. Some people uh, feel like their heart's racing, those kind of things. Um, and that happens with active COVID as well. So yeah. Oh, so but you don't uh, get COVID. There's no COVID there. It's just the spike no COVID protein. Yeah. Okay. So if you get the vaccine, you know, you have to get, you know, uh, the most, a lot of them are two shots, right? So if mm -hmm. you get that second shot, you typically have a bigger reaction than the first shot. Is that true or not true? Most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few patients that have had it worse the first time than the second one, but um, in general, we see a little bit more robust reaction after the second shot, which makes sense. Um, and so, um, I know I, that happened to me, you know, I had a um, worse reaction after the second shot than I did. The first one, I didn't even know anything happened. And the second shot, I had about two to three hours of feeling kind of cruddy in the middle of the night. That was about it. No, it's fine. Okay. 
Um, this this one I probably should ask earlier when we're talking about um, the the booster, but uh, well, it probably applies now. But the FDA approved approved Pfizer, right? That one's mm -hmm. approved. I was what what what's the term that they were under previously? Emergency use. Oh, so that, so previously they're under emergency use authorization, so EUA. So Pfizer Pfizer has the full approval. Moderna on the twenty sixth of August submitted for full approval. And anticipating that's going to happen maybe the 15th of this month. Um, their data looks really similar, so it's, it looks good. The Pfizer booster has now been recommended, and Moderna has submitted for their booster. Um, it sounds like Novavax will be another. Janssen's already approved. They don't have a booster approved. I don't even think they're looking at a booster yet. Um, and then um, Novavax um, originally was going to try to have their um, drug under EUA approval um, this month, but I think they pushed that back now into October. So. Okay. Okay. So fact versus fiction, the FDA approved drug is different than the emergency use drug. No, it's, it's, it's they just had to wait for more data to come in to get to a, a certain threshold that the FDA requires before, you know, two months out is, is pretty good data for vaccines. So once they had that data and then we actually, most of them went to six months, before they even asked for approval. Um, and then that, the, I should say four months is the FDA required um, length of time. Um, most of us look at two months. Um, once they had that, that six month data, it was, it was better. They want, the FDA wanted more information. I mean, these are the most scrutinized vaccines ever, um, even though it's going relatively quickly. Um, the, you know, it's more red tape that's being cut. We talked about that before. It's a operation warp speed. It's not called that anymore, but um, was more to cut red tape than it was to actually speed the vaccine up. So, um, so they're, I mean, they're looking, I mean, they're making them in the booster studies, they're making them look at things that are really hard to look at. I mean, there's just all these extra things that are being added um, that are, that are probably hindering us a little bit more than, more than helping, but obviously everybody wants to be as safe as possible. Um, so yeah, so that there, I think Pfizer's the only one that's got that booster recommendation too, which is for only immunocompromised. Okay. So, so maybe as a follow-up to that, has the vaccine from Pfizer, Moderna, has it changed from the original or is it the nope. same? Cause they talk about that. They talk about, oh, we got to modify it for the Delta variant and stuff, you know, is that, or is it the same vaccine? Yeah, it's the same vaccine. They've done some variant studies, but it doesn't, you know, the, the vaccine works just as good against the variant. So, you know, it's it's probably more the fact that we're getting six months, almost a year out now for patient, for some patients to receiving vaccine that they're breaking through now. It's more maybe the antibodies not, aren't there as, as much more than it is the actual variant itself that's breaking through. So if it was still the alpha variant, the way back at the beginning, it still probably have similar, you know, breakthrough that the Delta, that that's at least what we're seeing in the lab. So um, that there's still really good protection. So I don't, they're really right now that the sponsors, I mean, they're looking at the variants and looking at, I mean, it's easy to change the, the formula um, to, to meet the variants, but the, the spike protein itself hasn't been necessarily changing. So you know, make, you're still making antibodies. There hasn't been a breakthrough variant that's completely, you know, blocking the, the response of the, of the vaccine in your own body. So it, I think it has more to do with timing. Yeah. Your body's still able to recognize that that's mm -hmm. the bad stuff because it's yeah. been identified from what it saw in the vaccine. Yeah. originally. So. Yeah. 
So, yeah, the spike okay. hasn't turned from a triangle into a circle or anything like that. That would make it totally evasive. You know, that's simplifying it. But, you know, okay. it, it's not, you know, that would probably make it a completely new disease, to be honest. So, um, we're, you know, we're not anticipating that we'll see that. We're watching that close, but we're not, we don't anticipate that's going to happen. Okay. All right. And then the last question, which uh, um, I'm tired of wearing a mask, don't want to wear a mask. A vaccinated person does not need to wear a mask, fact versus fiction. Um, so <laughs> that's a really hot button issue. Um, so the mask data is actually pretty poor, to be honest. I mean, I, I look at all that stuff all the time. I'm not a big mask guy because, it, you know, I, I just haven't seen a huge amount of benefits. I do, you know, still as a healthcare provider, I still wear a mask around patients. And in, in, if you're in a poorly ventilated, highly dense place with a lot of people, a mask is probably going to give you five to 15 minutes of, of benefit. Um, your best option is ventilating. So um, I always use the analogy that, you know, if I pee in the Missouri River upstream of Omaha, it's going to be out. You're not going to be able to tell I peed in the Missouri River. OK, um, the same kind of thing goes with air ventilation of airborne particles. So, you know, if you have a faint, the, the best thing we could do in schools, for instance, and nobody talks about it, is ventilate. So all the money that was spent shouldn't have been, you know, what we don't want to do is put up barriers like barriers at Starbucks is a terrible idea um, that slows the ventilation down and makes you more prone to picking up higher volume of back of, 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 of um, virus particles and other things as well. So what we really need to do is ventilate. That's the key. So you're outside, your risk is exceedingly low. Um, so and, you know, the same thing and, you know, that as, as, you know, houses and that's why we're going to probably see a spike to be, be honest in, in COVID over the, over the winter in, in the, in the Northern states like us is um, you know, we're going to be inside more. So poorly ventilated old churches where people are singing and sending out a lot of virus particles. That's, that's a tough place to be. That's probably a good place to mask, to be honest, or maybe if you're high risk, not a good place to go. Um, an old dingy bar, not a good place to go, but that bar opens up and gets things ventilating. If you can smell the, the smoke from pre um, can't smoke in bars in the bar still, that's probably not a good ventilated place. So um, ventilation is the, is the key it appears. So um, get things flowing and, and um, you know, you're less likely. Now there are times where I'll wear a mask. I'm not, I mean, things like an airplane where it's, circulating all the time, probably super, super low risk. I'm not sure why they still recommend masks there, but maybe in the airport where you're in a poor ventilated space, then wearing, wearing a mask may not be a bad idea. But, you know, we're seeing all these football games and all these things with thousands and thousands of people and not seeing outbreaks because they're outside. So, you know, that's, that, that's probably the big key is, is, is just ventilation. Um, where, you know, masks, masks are really a hot thing. I, I, I've said from day one, I think a cloth mask is a giant waste of time. Um, it's, it, it's, to me, it's theater because they're not blocking anything. They're jetting out the sides. There's all kinds of things. Wearing multiple layers of cloth, maybe will help a little bit if it's tight fitting. Not everybody, you know, we wear N95 masks in certain situations in the hospital. We have to be fit tested. Those are true respirators. And they're not, if you're not uncomfortable wearing a mask, you know, like that, um, after 15, 20 minutes, then it's probably not sealing good enough. So, um, you know, to, to try to prevent it. But I do think that a simple surgical mask like this can 
give you a you know at least you know 10 to 15 minutes of protection you know around an active covid patients and we're seeing that in the hospital you know the hospital staff that's what they wear most of the time some are wearing like i wear a special thing called a papper sometimes when i'm in there which is really blocks it tight but i know i'm going to be in the room with the patient for a long period of time but if i'm in there for a shorter amount of time then then I, a cloth mask is probably plenty fine. Plus we really ventilate in the rooms now. That's, that's our big, just like TV, we ventilate the heck out of it, um, you know, and, and, and try to get all the particles turning, the, all the air molecules turning over, over and over and over as quick as we can. So. So you didn't give me the answer I wanted. A vaccinated person. Don't wear a mask. Does not need to wear a mask, right? I, I would say that, you know, if, 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 the benefit of wearing a mask probably isn't there a lot for the, for the vaccinated, but you know, I, I still think there's certain situations where you would, should still do it. And they're few going in a restaurant is not one of those, um, in my opinion. Um, now again, if it's, a, if your restaurant is the bar that hasn't changed the air over since 1987, then that may be a place that you want to wear it. But I probably wouldn't, if you're that afraid of getting COVID, I probably wouldn't go into that situation. So, um, yeah, I would, <laughs> the, the big key is ventilation. So I, that's what I would look at. And if it's not, ventilated and you're really worried about somebody being in there with COVID, then I might wear a mask, but then it, it doesn't probably do a lot of good after 15 minutes anyway. So, so, um, and that's a little off subject with the asking more about the masks, but the mask has become more, less of a, it's, it's really less of a medical thing and more of a comfort political, political <laughs> yeah. you know it's yeah. that's yeah okay well that's, that's and we probably saw you know once once they came out and you know people might feel overconfident wearing masks too so we got to be a little careful about that that a mask a mask is not as good as a vaccine not even close so okay. you know you're way better off getting vaccinated than you know than worrying about a mask now most people that are really worried about masks have already been vaccinated as well so um, you know, that the people that, that don't want a vaccine, maybe the people that don't want to wear a mask either. So you're, you know, it's two ends yeah. of the spectrum where, you know, I think you can, I think you can be pro vaccine and anti mask and still be reasonable. I, I'm not sure I want to be anti mask, but, um, right. you know, I want to realize, have people realize the, you know, if you think a mask is going to hundred percent protect you from COVID or protect other people from COVID around you, that that's not necessarily true. So, um, so you know, I want to be realistic because the data doesn't support it. So, so the fact is that getting vaccinated is way better than just wearing a mask. Correct. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I think, I think that's about all I had or, or the things that I'd written down. Is there anything you think, anything you think we should know about vaccines that that's out there that, that we don't know or um, not really just watch that. We're going to probably see some other MRNA type vaccines coming out. There's still a lot of research being done um, in COVID as well as other things, you know, um, and there's actually a lot of research in Northeast Nebraska. So um, if, if people are interested, there's a lot being done in Sioux city as well as Norfolk. And then I know you reach out, you know, to Link, you know, Lincoln's got a lot of research. Omaha's got a lot of research. Grand Island's got a lot of research going on. So if people are interested in, in doing research, like we have all sites um, with Marine clinical research at all those places. And they work with some of the local small town docs. And, um, and we do a lot of, Nebraska's provided a ton of information for these companies um, especially with the first, with the outbreaks we had last year, basically flipped us over the top. We had about half the cases in Moderna were in the Midwest. So we, uh, we've really produced a lot of 
of good data for the pay, for the for the sponsors to get these things approved. Um, you know, that they can reach out, they can look at our website, those kind of things as well. Um, you know, if they want to get involved because it's, it is kind of fun. Um, you know, people get, um, reimbursed for it. Um, you can feel like you're really being part of something. And again, it doesn't have to be COVID, but there's other vaccines, there's other drugs, you know, that maybe there's a disease that somebody doesn't have a, um, a a treatment for not a very good treatment and they can, they can be involved in, in doing research. So people don't really realize that's out there, but, um, there is quite a bit in Nebraska, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So we could, uh, that's on Meridian's website. Is that where yep. you can find locations and stuff where you're doing trials? Yep. Yep. Okay. We'll, 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 put the, we'll put a link, uh, uh, yep. in, the in here under the, under the video as well. So, all right. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, thanks yeah. for taking the time. I know you're busy today. You're at, at Meridian today doing work. So, uh, yep. appreciate it. So you bet. we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Good to talk to you. All right. right. See you later. Opinions voiced in this show podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss.